Children ages three to eight years old, you're dismissed to Children's Church. Rest of you, if you'll turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. If you'll join me in Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. I'm excited that we have one in our church that's going to be baptized today, and I did choose a we just happened, the next section happened to only be about three verses long. So you're lucked out on a shorter sermon. Not. <laughs> Not it seems like I can uh, extend these things anyway, but uh, we'll try to keep it short today. read a story about a preacher in the 1800s named Clovis. Do I have my microphone on? Yeah. I uh, read a story this uh, week of a preacher named Clovis Chapel. is a preacher in the 1800s. And uh, he tells the story of two paddle boats on the Mississippi River. And they both started out in Memphis, Tennessee. They were taking cargo down the Mississippi to New Orleans. And they started out, as usual, at a very slow pace, as those boats would do. And as they were just kind of chugging along, uh, slowly going along there, uh, the sailors started, uh, started talking to each other. Words were exchanged. Bets were made. And a, a race had begun to New Orleans. And they were, trying, they, were, they were trying to beat one another to the port of New, of New Orleans. And so uh, as they were going down the river, they started uh, you know, chucking that coal in the ovens. And they were flying. And they really were neck and neck. It was a vigorous race. Most of, as they were going through the deep south on the Mississippi River, but all of a sudden, one, one ship started slowing down and drifting further back. And the reason why is because they were running out of coal. Uh, they, had, they had only brought enough coal for a certain speed, uh, be, to maintain a certain speed going down the river to New Orleans. And they didn't bring enough coal to try to win a race. And so they burned through their coal before they could get there. And that boat that was uh, further behind didn't know what to do. And a young sailor came up with the idea of taking some of the cargo and throwing it in the ovens to speed it up. And it actually burned just as much as the coal. And so they were able to bypass the other boats and they actually made it to New Orleans before the other ship. But when they arrived in the port, they won, but they arrived with no cargo left. And, uh, and as I read that story, I thought about life. And life is like a rat race, isn't it not? It can get so busy and we can get so bogged down into it and that we want to be ahead of the game so much and we're just trying to stay above water so much that sometimes we can lose precious cargo. And in verses 13 through 17, Jesus talks about the importance of our children. Last week we were studying verses 1 through 12 about how we need to be prepared and we need to direct people to the Word of God when attacks come against our faith. And the Lord Jesus talked about marriage and he upheld a high standard of marriage. And I'm not going to re preach that sermon this week, but if you want to get the tape of it, I'm sure it's available or it's on our website here pretty soon. But as we talk about as Jesus talked about marriage in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, the parallel account, we didn't talk about this, but the disciples said, well, who in the world wants to get married? I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but who in the world would want to get married if you make the wrong, if you can make the wrong choice? You know? And they were kind of 
saying, man, it's better to live a single life. And, and, when, and shortly after this account, it reads in verse 13 of this chapter, and it follows the same in, in Matthew 19 as well, but here in Mark chapter 10, verse 19, it says, And the people brought young children to Jesus. And it's worded in the imperfect tense, meaning that it happened in the past, but it was a present tense action, meaning that they were bringing them continuously okay, in the past. And so it's this line of parents bringing their kids to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the disciples, and it said in the previous passage, in verse 10, that he was in the house. So he's in a house, his disciples are outside, and they are blocking these children from coming to Jesus. And Jesus sees it, and he's very displeased. And the fact of the matter is, is that these disciples neglected the spiritual needs of these young people, of these children. And the fact is, for you and me, adults, and you don't have to be a senior saint for this message to apply to you. It's for any of us who have a younger generation under us. We need to think about how we are influencing them and reaching them for the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times we can be so caught up in life and so caught up in ourselves that we neglect our own children and the spiritual needs that are in their life. We give them food, we give them water, we give them shelter and we give them love, but how are we raising them for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is probably a more important question to ask yourself this morning. Young people are very important to Jesus Christ. Dwight L. Moody was a famous preacher in the 1800s. He preached all around America. He started Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. He uh, also preached in Europe. And thousands of people trusted Christ through his ministry. And after one of his revival services, he went to the home of one man who was hosting him after that revival service. And the host asked him, how did the revival go? How many accepted Christ? And he said, well, two and a half lives were changed and are now serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And the host assumed and thought that he meant uh, two adults, one children, and expressed that to Moody. And Moody said, no. No, there were two adults, uh, there were two children and one adult that accepted Christ as Savior. He said, no, the two children, uh, they committed their whole lives to Jesus. The man only had high, half of his life to give to the Lord. And that's why these young people are so important. When we meet on Wednesday night and we are reaching these boys and girls for Jesus Christ and training them to serve Him, that's the motto in Awana, the reason why we do that is because they're important to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have their whole lives ahead of them. And He has a purpose and a plan for their life. And we need to be investing ourselves in reaching these young people with the Gospel of Christ. And it says here in verse 14, but when Jesus saw what the disciples were doing, that He was much displeased. Now that word, that verb, much displeased, it does occur in other times in the New Testament. But this is the only time that it refers uh, to an action done by the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only time that the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that this word is talked about Him, that He was very displeased. And it means that He was very indignant. He was very angry. He was ticked off. Okay? And you know, I mean, why was He ticked off? Because 
the, the spiritual needs of these children were being neglected. And as I pastor First Baptist Church, as I've ministered in another church as well, I've seen families that are so consumed with family events and sports events and um, community events, school events. I mean, we got all these things. And the thing is, life is so busy for everybody. Let's, let's, let's talk straight a little bit, okay? Life is busy. And a lot of times we think in our heart that our life is busier than other people's lives. But life is really busy for everybody. We all have responsibilities. We all have priorities in life. And a lot of times when those events, like I enumerated, and there's many more, when they conflict, many times the first thing to be cut is the things of God, is what I've noticed. And it's not an issue of busyness, it's an issue of priority. What are your priorities? And I've seen many parents invest educationally in their kids, recreationally in their kids, and their kids aren't living for the Lord today. Because they put these things way before the things of God. And so I want to challenge you this morning to consider what Jesus says here. Because when we neglect the spiritual needs of children, it makes Him angry. And He's very displeased with us. And it's not just the parents, by the way. We need to think about we as a church. You know, we can have programs, and we can have teaching, and we can have goals, and we can have projects. But you know what? If we're not reaching the next generation for Christ, we failed. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, the church is always one generation short of extinction. If our generation fails to guard the truth and entrust it to our children, then that will be the end. Now, that's a little fatalistic, I think. It's a little extreme, okay? Because the fact is, is the church is not going to go extinct, okay? It's always going to, Jesus is going to build his church, but we're shooting ourselves in the foot. And we need, and the thing is, reaching our kids for Christ won't happen by accident. It just doesn't happen. They grow up, and they will grow up, and that will happen. But them trusting in Jesus as their Savior and being raised to serve Him one day doesn't happen by accident. It has to happen on purpose. It has to be deliberate. I'm reading a book right now called The Deliberate Church, and it's it's whole... Um, thesis is that we need, and, and I haven't read it all, so I'm not giving an endorsement to it, okay? But their whole premise is, if the gospel is what we should be reaching out for, and, and that's what the church is about, is getting the gospel out and living out the gospel before the unsaved, how, how deliberate are we in our methods and in our message in the church to be in line with that? And I, I see their point. But I guess I'm going to steal that idea and say, we need more than a deliberate church. We need deliberate home. Raising children for Christ. Because home is where it starts. And really where it takes place. And how do you deliberately bring your young people to, an, uh, to Jesus Christ? In verse 13, we see that these parents, they bring their children to Jesus. And they brought young children to Jesus that He should touch them. And His disciples rebuked those that brought them. First of all, you have to expose children to Jesus Christ. Expose young people 
to Jesus Christ. Now these parents, these people, we don't actually doesn't say their parents, but it says these people bring their children. And it says they bring their little children, and that word little children is pation, like, um, anyway, I'm not going to go into more detail about that, but it basically applies for newborns all the way to 12 years of age. So it's a very generic term. It's used in a variety of ways in the New Testament, so it could be any age in that range, okay? And so newborns were probably brought there, probably toddlers, but it could have been preteens, you know, going there to... Uh, be touched by Jesus. And we need to talk about what that is. These parents, I believe, are the ones that are bringing the kids. And I believe that they're bringing them to be dedicated to, the, to, to God. Now, the, the word brought is prospero in the Greek, and it's always used for offerings. And so, I believe that they're bringing their children in some kind of dedicating way. And that's where I get that from because of how that word is used. But what is involved in this dedication of children? By the way, there is no mention of baptism here in this context, and this passage is used for uh, sometimes giving a warrant for baptism of infants, but it's not mentioned here. Jesus never actually baptizes infants. He never actually baptizes anybody (laughs) in the New Testament. To be very uh, transparent and exhaustive with you, uh, his disciples are the ones who baptize people, and it never mentions at all in the New Testament about the baptism of infants. But there is some ministry to children here, and we can't escape that. But what is going on? Well, Matthew 19 gives us a little bit more insight. It's the parallel passage, and it says that uh, the parents brought these children to Jesus that he should put his hands on them and pray. That was what was going on, is that he would put... Uh, his hands on them and pray. And they were seeking God's blessing. If you look at verse 16, the context explains it. He says he took them up in his arms and he put his hands upon them and blessed them. Okay, so we've got to define what that means, blessing. But this was a very um, common custom for great teachers or Jewish rabbis. And even in the Old Testament, God talked about how the priests in the temple we're supposed to bless the children and pray over them. And actually in Numbers chapter 6 and verses 22 through 26, an example of what God wanted them to pray for the children is this. In, ver- in Numbers chapter 6 verse 22, He commands Moses to speak unto Aaron and unto his sons, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee, The Lord make His face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up His countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Again, did this ensure salvation for the children of Israel? Absolutely not. We know that that wasn't the case. But it was praying for God to work in their lives. And He enumerates all those different things. So again, I believe this blessing was a common practice and these parents come to Jesus for this same reason. Now, they come to Jesus and they could have come to Him because they have trusted in Him as Messiah. Jesus as the Savior. Jesus has been very clear that He is the Son of God. That He is the Savior. That He is Christ. He has been called the Christ by Peter and He affirmed that that was true. So Jesus has, he has no problem being very clear about that. 
And the people may have heard that and they may have come to him as believers in him as Savior. But probably they came to him as a Jewish teacher. Okay? Most likely. Because there were many people that came to him in that way. So these parents, I want you to get this context. Okay? These parents are coming to him and they have a limited knowledge probably of who Jesus is. Okay? But they want... God's blessing, and they believe that Jesus, if, if Jesus prays for God's blessing in their life, that it will happen. Okay? And so they come in their limited faith, faith, their childlike faith, in, in a sense, and they are believing that God's going to bless through Jesus' prayer. But what I want to emphasize is that they were exposing their children to Jesus Christ. Okay? And when these parents were expressing whatever... I don't know what the object of their faith was. I would only be speculating to say. okay, Because I don't know their hearts. But whatever object it was, they were expressing confidence in the Lord Jesus that He could bring God's blessing on their children. okay, And that, I know, had an impression on those little kids. Because you see in verse 16, they readily go to Jesus. And the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus calls these children unto Him and they go without hesitation at all. Why? Because their parents had exposed them to Jesus Christ. And they had expressed their own faith in Jesus Christ. I want to read this statement that faith is not taught as much as it is caught. Faith is is not taught as much as it is caught. And my challenge to you, parents, grandparents, children's workers, is you don't, I mean, I want you to be doctrinally accurate. I want, you know, you should be in the Word of God. You should be, but most importantly, you should be living out the Word of God before children. You don't have to go and get a Bible college degree in order to influence your children and grandchildren for the Lord Jesus Christ. All you have to do is live out your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And these parents were exercising their confidence in Jesus, and these children, they gained a respect for Jesus Christ as a teacher, or maybe even as the Savior. We don't know. But also these children were encouraged to trust in Jesus later on in verse 16, because of the faith of their parents. And so, you think about these parents who probably most likely had a limited knowledge of who Jesus really was. And the fact is, as we sit here today, we have all 66 books of the Bible. We get to sit under the preaching of God's Word. Many of you have grown up in church. You have heard message after message after message before. You know more about Jesus Christ and these parents in this passage, but you don't live out your faith before your kids. And what a shame that we have missed, we missed this opportunity. The best exposure to Jesus is in your home. And like these people, your children are watching you and also the children in this church and the children in the community as well. And they see how you are living for the Lord Jesus Christ. Second of all, not only do we need to expose young people to Jesus Christ, but we need to evangelize young people for Jesus Christ. 
Verses 14 and 15 read, But when Jesus saw it, He was much displeased, and He said unto them, Suffer the little children, or permit them, send them to Me to come unto Me, and forbid them not. Stop restraining them. Stop hindering them, literally. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. Don't miss this. Jesus wants every person to become a child of God. And when you become a child of God, not only are you a child of God, but you become a citizen of God's kingdom. And it's not a kingdom that's far out there, it's coming, it's up in the sky by and by, but it's His kingdom right now. It's talking about a kingdom that is present and that goes into eternity. It's not talking about the millennial kingdom. When Jesus came and preached, He says, repent and believe, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It was a present kingdom. And what He's talking about is that the that God is ruling in the hearts of His citizens and His children. But the thing is, you can't become a child or a citizen, a child of God and a citizen of heaven without receiving the King of the kingdom first. And He has done a miraculous work to give you access to that kingdom by dying on the cross for your sins. That's why Jesus came. To seek and to save those that were lost. And Jesus doesn't call you to childish faith, but to childlike faith. But what does that mean? What does childlike faith mean? You know, children are trusting. And like children, we need to trust in the Word of God. You have to trust in the Word of God in order to be saved. How many of you trusted in Jesus through a Gospel track? Raise your hand. Am I by myself? Okay. How many of you trusted in Jesus for salvation in a service where the Word of God was preached? Raise your hand. Okay, many more of you. Put your hand down. Uh, how about Vacation Bible School? Raise your hand. How about Awana then? Awana, you heard about Jesus dying on the cross for your sin? You know what I have found as I have interacted with folks and talked to them about their salvation? You know there's one common denominator that I've always found? The Word of God. The Word of God revealed the truth to them that they were sinners. They were unable to, that they offended a holy God. They were unable to save themselves and work their way to heaven. And that Jesus provided the way when He died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. And they finally trusted in the work of Christ on the cross for salvation. And they know that they're going to heaven because of Him and His work. Children are trusting. They trust God's Word. They trust the goodness of God and the love of God. You know, childlike faith, it's a trusting faith. But it's also a dependent faith. Because just as my children trust me as their father and they probably trust many of you and they may trust people that I don't want them to trust so easily, but they also are dependent on me. They are my dependents in the eyes of the law, but also they are literally dependent on me for their survival, to have food, shelter, and love, to take care of them and provide for them. 
And that is part of childlike faith. It's a trusting faith, a dependent faith, and it requires humility. Children humbly accept things by faith. They don't have to, they don't second guess things. They take it as it is and as it's presented to them. And it was illustrated in a recent video of a child jumping off a diving board in our Truth Project video series. And I, I mean, who remembers dump, jumping off the uh, diving board for the first time? I remember that. It wasn't to the hands of my father, the arms of my father or my mom, it was to a lifeguard. They taught me how to swim. But I remember standing, you know, I was in a class, so you got the peer pressure, but that wasn't enough to make me jump, okay? (laughs) But, you know, you're right there on the diving board, and you're just holding your hands like, you know. And, you know, you know that lifeguard can swim because she's staying above water. And you've seen the other kids go before you, but what do you have to do? You have to humbly... Trust and depend on that lifeguard to save you if you don't stay afloat. And you know what? The same thing is true about salvation. We feel like we got to do something. We feel like we got to um, work our way to heaven. And God says, I've already done the work for you. That's why Jesus came. And it's really a slap in the face of God when we try to trust in a work when He gave His only begotten Son to do the work for you. And we trust in something else and say that's not enough. But children say children trust and they depend and they humbly believe that the work of Christ is more than enough. And the same has to be true for everyone that receives the kingdom of God and enters the kingdom of God is that they have to receive the king with childlike faith. And we need to encourage our young people, not by just, we need to expose our young people to the Lord Jesus Christ, but we need to do more than just that. When they are exposed to the Lord Jesus Christ, like in Awana, or Sunday School, or Children's Church, we need to follow up on that. And we can't make them trust Christ, but when they ask us questions, we need to be prepared, and we need to take their questions seriously. And we need to encourage them and urge them to trust in Jesus as Savior. And a lot of people say, but what about the age of accountability? Well, one preacher says you probably should call it the age of decision. You know? But when they're ready to decide, don't hinder them. Encourage them to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And then the third way to deliberately bring children to Jesus Christ, expose them to Jesus, evangelize them for Jesus, and encourage children toward Jesus. I hope I don't sound redundant, but I'll try to emphasize the difference. Verse 16, And he took them up in his arms, not up, but into his arms. He embraced them, and he put his hands upon them, and he blessed them. You know what? what? You remember what the parents actually asked Jesus to do? They went there with the intention that Jesus would just touch, you know, in like a ceremonial way like the Jewish rabbis and the priests have done, that they would touch the head of the children and then pray God's work in their heart, in their life, I mean. and But Jesus does more than that. Jesus draws them unto Himself 
and he embraces them. And then he takes one hand and he prays for God to work in the life of that young person. And he has this close fellowship with them and he shows them this gracious love. And it says that he blessed them. And actually it's a compound verb in the original. It means to fervently bless. He fervently blessed them. I'm not sure if he prayed long prayers, but it's also again in the imperfect tense in that he continuously, individually did this for the kids. Can you imagine this? These kids are going into the house and he takes time for each one of these kids to pray over them and embrace them because that's how much he cares for kids. And that's how much he cares for you. And we need to encourage our young people to pursue and to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. And even after they are evangelized and exposed to the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to encourage them to follow Christ because He wants them to draw close to Him. He will take time to minister in their life. And He will bring spiritual blessing into their life if they will just pursue Him and live for Him. In the 1800s, a 17-year-old boy left his home, and, and I know it's in the 1800s, so it's a little different than now, but he leaves his home at 17 years of age, and he enters the workforce. He goes down to Boston, Massachusetts, and he begins working in his uncle's shoe shop. And part of the deal with his uncle is that he could live there with his uncle, he can work for his uncle, but he has to go to church every Sunday. And this young man, he had a Sunday school teacher named Mr. Edward Kimball. And Mr. Kimball, after a while of uh, teaching class with this young man in there, he could tell this young man was religious. Okay, He had a respect for God. He had some exposure to the Bible. He was knowledgeable in what God's Word said. But he wasn't saved. And he became so burdened for this young boy that he planned to visit him one day while he was working at his uncle's shoe shop. And Mr. Kimball wrote about his visit in his journal. And I want to read that to you. So excuse me for not looking at you while I read this. Mr. Kimball wrote, I determined to speak to this young man about Christ and about his soul and started down to Holton's shoe store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to go in just then during business hours. I thought that possibly my call on the young man might embarrass him. And that when I went away, the other clerks would ask who I was and taunt him with my efforts in trying to win him for Christ. In the meantime, I had passed the store, and discovering this, I determined to make a dash for it and have it over at once. Sounds kind of British, doesn't it? I found the boy in the back part of the building, wrapping up shoes. I went up to him at once, and putting my hand on his shoulder, I made what I afterwards felt was a very weak plea for Christ. I don't, I don't know just what words I used, nor could the boy remember, but I, re, I simply told him of Christ's love for him and the love Christ wanted in return. And that was all there was. It seemed the young man was ready for the light, and, and, and that then broke upon him. And there in the back of that store in Boston, Dwight L. Moody gave himself and his life to Christ. And like I said earlier at the beginning of my message, this young man grew up and ended up being a traveling evangelist leading thousands to Christ. And where did it start? With a faithful, nameless Sunday school teacher 
Edward Kimball. You Sunday school teachers don't give up. I meet kids in this community that have come to Sunday school here. Just this last week, I was cleaning out some things around the church and ran across student booklets that kids that, adults that I know now, because I didn't grow up here, but I recognize the names. And these, these adults, these kids, have grown up. And they're not living for the Lord, but they had the Word of God planted in their hearts. And I just encourage you to continue to be faithful. I encourage you, Awana workers, to be faithful. To be ever diligent to be walking with the Lord. And staying close to Him and having a right spirit and a right attitude. But even you parents, I encourage you to make the spiritual needs of your children a priority. You may say, Pastor, I've already blown it. My kids are all raised. Can I encourage you that I've known parents in my short time of ministry that had older kids that are not living for the Lord, but you know what they did? Is they got right with God and they invested themselves in discipling the kids they still had in the home and they're living for God. Okay? If your kids are already out of your home and they're not living for God and it might be because of your lack of priorities in the past, if you haven't done so already, I encourage you just get right with God about that. 1 John 1.9 is still in the Bible. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that is a sin to neglect the spiritual needs of our kids. But we're not without hope. As long as you have a heartbeat, you can influence a child for Christ. And I encourage you to make it a priority. Expose them to the Lord Jesus Christ by living out your faith in front of them. Evangelize these young people for Christ by sharing your faith verbally with them as well. And then encourage them towards serving Christ by being in a supportive role and taking time like the Lord Jesus to make time for your kids, dads. To take time to get one-on-one in close, intimate relationship with them. I don't mean a perverted way, but just a very close fatherly or even a close mentor relationship and encourage these young people to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're only one short generation. The church is only one short generation from turning their back on Christ. And what are you doing to make a difference? Let's uh, bow our heads and close our eyes and have our baptismal candidate uh, make his way to the front to prepare for baptism. I want to encourage you to respond to the message of God's Word. As our instrumentalist begins to play, I want to encourage you just to talk to the Lord. It may be that you would say, Pastor, as you talked about childlike faith in regards to salvation, I'm not sure that I've ever, I don't believe I've ever done that. Yeah, I've heard about Jesus. I know He died on the cross for my sins with heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask you just to search your own heart. And if you haven't trusted Jesus with childlike faith, You may be trusting in church membership. You may be trusting in your parents. You may be trusting in a prayer. You may be trusting in your baptism. You may be trusting in your memory. (laughs) 
We can trust in all kind of things except trust in the work of Jesus Christ. If you don't know, if you died today, that you would go to heaven, I want to encourage you just there in your seat to just talk to the Lord and just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says you will be saved. Romans 10, verse 13. You have to believe that you are a sinner, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. You never can save yourself, and that's why Jesus came and died on the cross for you. And just believe. Trust in Jesus and His work on the cross as sufficient to save you from your sins. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. It's a simple plan of salvation. God has already done the work in for you. Just simply trust in His Son for salvation. As Christians are praying, if you've made that decision this morning to trust in Jesus as your Savior, I, I would like to know about it. You don't have to come forward, but would you simply just raise your hand so I can know about that and I can pray for you. I won't embarrass you with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you trusted in Jesus this morning, if you don't mind sharing that with me, I would like to pray for you. Alright? Well, I encourage Christians to pray. Get right with God if you've neglected the spiritual needs of young people in your life. Or maybe you just need to commit yourself to training your young people for Christ. You talk to the Lord. You can look up and uh, Brother Keith's going to lead us in a hymn while we prepare for our